It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Alright, let's just start this damn thing. At Garrett Sisti, Jamie, at Lightning underscore round. We're going to blow through these donations, we got to break down this game. Uh, we do have some good news on Okung, but uh, let's talk about these donations, Jamie. First donation is from Sean Doughty, Doughty I guess. Uh, thanks for providing us with great content every week. By far the best Chargers podcast available. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, Ivan Aragon donated $3.44 and said, This is how much Telesco spent on the offensive line. We don't usually list the amount, but uh, <laughs> I'm not one to ruin a bit. So uh, thank you, Ivan. I appreciate it. And that is about right. Also from Junius Lim, who says, Hey, guys, thank you for the midweek commentary. And this should get you a nice handle of Old Crow which is what the Chargers ate on Sunday. Great. Thanks. Appreciate Thank you, it. Uh, n- yeah, Nathan uh, Golliner also donated this week, and we got one more. Last one is from Steven Pisano. Yep. Sean Dowdy, Ivan Aragon, Junius Lim, Nathan Golliner, and Steven Pisano helping us out here, knowing that we have to break down this game. Appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, let's, let's talk about some good news before we talk about this game. And the good news is the Chargers get their starting left tackle back. 
Russell Okun practiced today. Lynn had already confirmed that he's going to play this week, but he's definitely going to be on a snap count, so we will still see Trent Scott. And there's also some talk about maybe moving Trent Scott over to right tackle with Sam Tevy. Yeah, uh, people seem excited about the prospects of moving Trent Scott to right tackle. Uh, to me, that still says he's still probably going to be blocking Khalil Mack, so I don't know how excited I am about that prospect. But <laughs> I guess anything is better than Sam Tevy at this point. And if you only have to help on one side versus having to help on both sides, that's a positive too. So uh, welcome back, Russell. Glad you're healthy. Glad you are in a position to be back on the field and hopefully live a normal life after some health scare. And hopefully they get right tackle figured out heading down the stretch here and it and it uh, answers some questions for them late this year going into next year. Yeah, they won't have right tackle uh, figured out because they don't have a good right tackle on the roster. But unless they make I'm a trade before the deadline. I'm trying to be positive here. Everybody wants I, me to oh, be positive. Sorry. I'm trying to be Damn positive. It. All right, sorry, I'm optimistic. sorry. <laughs> this is optimistic, Jamie. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But, yes, uh, having Russell Okung back is a big deal. And then also uh, we'll talk about uh, a bright spot on the offensive line coming up in this game. But, you know, I guess you kind of pick the lesser of two evils between Trent Scott and Sam Tevy, who were both terrible. Uh, they've been terrible this season. And uh, I know Anthony Lynn liked, uh, I think his word was consistency from Trent Scott, which uh, <laughs> I, I guess if you're consistently bad, you are being consistent. So you're consistent at something. <laughs> that's something, I guess. But uh, we will see how right tackle shakes out. And uh, very good news, first and foremost, that Okun can... He's healthy enough to even play the game of football, which means he's healthy enough to uh, live a healthy life. So good for Russell. Uh, great for the Chargers because they get their left tackle back. Uh, that is the good news. The bad news is that Jamie and I have to break down this game. And uh, Jamie, of course, is going to be breaking down the offense. I will be breaking, breaking down the defense. We both watched this game, uh, both offense and defense, so we'll be able to comment on all of it. But uh, for everybody that was bitching that we haven't got those game breakdowns out, uh, be careful what you ask for. Because here it comes. Uh, <laughs> Jamie's got three storylines. I've got three storylines. Uh, Jamie, talk to me about the offense. So I think, at least I hope, the Chargers learned something from that game on Sunday. Uh, because when they were spreading the defense out and they were spreading the ball around and they had Allen and Williams and Henry and Eckler all in the field together, they moved the ball quickly. They moved the ball efficiently. They got chunk plays. They scored points. Uh, and they were virtually unstoppable on offense but when they had gordon on and they were trying to pound the ball up the middle against that tennessee defensive line uh and they were you know really trying to feed gordon and establish that running game uh particularly in the in the third quarter when they had two yards of total offense they could not move the football there was nothing efficient about them they couldn't get any push up front there was no pass protection. There was no running game. There was not much of any offense at all, as evidenced by, like I said, the two yards of total offense. So my take, my takeaway really is you get those guys on the field, you spread them out, you throw the ball quickly, you get the ball out of Rivers' hands quickly so you're not asking your tackles to have to pass protect that seven-step drop every single play. You know, you're getting the ball five, six yards downfield. You're making somebody miss. You're getting 15, 20 yards. It's ha it was happening consistently in the middle of the field. It was con happening consistently on the out outside the hashes and outside the numbers. And it was a very positive development. It wasn't consistent because, again, they kept trying to force the ball to, to Gordon. But when they spread the ball out and when they spread the ball around, Rivers was much more effective. He was efficient. And they went up and down the field and scored points when they had to. So that, to me, is a big takeaway. Of course, they were desperate, but 
Now they're two and five, so there's no reason they shouldn't be desperate for the rest of the season and maybe play with a little bit of tempo and pick this pick the pace up a little bit. So that's my first takeaway: is those get the ball in the hands of your best players, spread the ball around, spread the defense out, pass to set up the run. You can't do what you want to do, so it's time to adjust. And I think hopefully we saw some of that adjustment on Sunday. Yeah, you're talking about desperation, and I think at some point. You have to look at this offense and see that this team hasn't won a game since Melvin Gordon's been back. I know that he had talked about, uh, Melvin Gordon did, about how he's never going to miss a training camp again. And uh, while that might may be true, and maybe he thinks you know he's a little bit uh, out of shape for the game, he was down in Florida practicing. We saw him running with a helmet on a treadmill. I mean, he was as good a shape as he could have been. Maybe he's just not as good as... He was the last couple of years. Maybe he's regressed. But when you look at Austin Eckler, who's sixth in the league in scrimmage yard leaders uh, through week seven, I mean, he's leading almost every wide receiver in the NFL other than Michael Thomas in that category. The offense looks so much more dynamic. You saw it on that last drive when they were driving down. They moved the ball at will when they needed to because Austin Eckler was there. The pace was up and the threat as a receiver and a runner is there. And I, you know, it's great that they can spread the ball and the offense is starting to look a little bit better and uh, getting Austin Eckler the ball is good. But Justin Jackson's coming back soon too. And there's got to be a shakeup among this running back group. And uh, I, I know that this may be something you want to talk about a little bit later, but it, you know, the game, the, the offense is just not efficient with Melvin Gordon. And at some point, whether Lynn has to have a coming to Jesus moment with Wisenhunt or whatever, there has got to be a shakeup in that running back group. Yeah, there definitely does. And I'm not sure, I'm not so sure it's as much of a shakeup or a, a come to Jesus meeting with Lynn and Wisenhunt as it is just a, a grasp on reality for Lynn at this point. Um, it seems like Gordon is Lynn's boy and he wants to get the, the ball in, Lynn, in Gordon's hands and he's trying to force feed him. He keeps saying he's their number one running back. You've got Gordon a couple weeks ago saying he needs more touches to get into a rhythm. Well, he got 16 touches and he ran for 32 yards on Sunday and he fumbled the ball three times. Yeah. Right? Yep. One of them was a race because they said he was down, but he basically he basically fumbled the ball three times in that game. Mm-hmm. So not only is he not in a rhythm, uh, he's stopping his feet. He looks like the Melvin Gordon from 2015, 2014, in his rookie year, year yeah. mm-hmm. where he's dancing, stopping his feet, just getting run over in the backfield because he's indecisive. Not patient, indecisive. And... Now it looks like he's having a hard time taking hits too because he's starting to fumble the ball in tight quarters, which is something we thought he had gotten over after his rookie year. So maybe Lynn just has to realize that Gordon isn't the guy that he thinks he is, at least not this year, and they need to start making some changes to how they want to go about running the ball and who is getting the bulk of the touches because it's very clear that Austin Eckler is one of the top, at the very least, one of the top three playmakers on this offense, if not top two. Um, you know, you talk about Keenan Allen, obviously he's great. He's their best receiver. Henry's right up there. So Allen, Allen, Eckler, and Henry, those are the three guys that lead the way for the offense. Mike Williams at this point is, you know, more of a limited role, not limited role, but he's more of a role player and among the top four players of this offense. But if you're getting the ball into the, those four guys' hands, you're going to move the ball in chunks and you're going to score points. And chances are you're getting the ball out of River's hand quickly, so you're keeping him upright, you're keeping him healthy, and you're not asking so much of that offensive line. They got to get away from force feeding the ball to 
to Gordon, and they have to get away from these seven-step drops trying to go deep on first down and second down on every, on every series. They Just take what the defense gives you. You know, Get that ball out in the five- to seven-yard range. Make somebody miss. Pick up 10 to 15 yards. Get your first down. Get some tempo going and push the pace. Um, the pace has been a problem for this team basically since Mike McCoy was here. Yep. Uh, they've been letting Rivers change plays at the line of scrimmage, change protections at the line of scrimmage. It seems like he changes every single play. And while you want to give your veteran quarterback that kind of leeway, at some point you just got to go with the play that was called and you got to get the playoff a little more quickly instead of taking the clock down to one, two, or three seconds on every play. And it burned them a little bit on Sunday because uh, right before the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, What's Rivers doing? He's changing plays, trying. He's changing uh, protections, maybe changing the play at the line of scrimmage. They let the clock run out, and they failed to get a playoff before the two-minute warning in a spot where every second mattered, and that might have cost them, and it might have affected their game, their game calling um, down on the goal line at the end of the game. So their play calling, I should say, down on the goal line at the end of the game. So pick up the pace, spread things out, get the ball into your playmakers' hands, and stop running into a brick wall. You don't have the personnel up front to run the ball the way you want to. Everybody here knows it except for you, apparently. It's time <laughs> to get with the program and just figure it out and do what works. Understand what works and stick with it until somebody makes you change your change your, your game plan again. Yeah, and what did we see today? That the Chargers are the second slowest team in terms of pace? I'm, I'm, not, I'm surprised they're not the slowest team in terms of pace because – they are literally oh, yeah. they're, so they're thirty first in terms of fastest offense by si- situation neutral snaps per second. Uh, Redskins are thirty second. Yeah, so they're. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised they're not thirty second though, because they, like I said, they're taking the ball down inside of five seconds on every single play. They're changing plays. They're changing protections. They're moving people around, and. It's just taking too much time. It's taking the element of surprise away from the offense. It's letting the defense catch its breath, and they know when the ball is going to be snapped because it's on one second almost every play. So let's pick up the pace and try to challenge them and keep that defense moving, keep them guessing. Uh, It works for other teams. I don't see why it can't work for a team quarterback by by Phillip Rivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so I'll uh, I'll move on to defense, and you kind of talked about some of the the good things of the offense on Sunday. Uh, something that was really good uh, defensively was the pair of pass rushers, Joey Bosa, Uchenna Nwosu. Uh Bosa had two sacks, three QB hits. Uh, was on the end of a lot of Tannehill's rush throws on Sunday. Uh, in fact, uh, one of his sacks, the drive began with a third and fourteen, third quarter. Uh, Jenu Smith caught that uh, five yard pass, and Drew Tranquil misses that initial tackle. And then, of course, Rayshon Jenkins does as well, and it extends the drive on that yard. But it still stalled and resulted in a punt because of a Joey Bosa sack later on a third down. So started off good for Bosa, blown coverage by a few chargers. Joey Bosa ends it again. It's almost like he had to do almost everything on Sunday. By my count, he caused two incompletions but making contact with Tannehill's arm in his throwing motion. He was all in Tannehill's personal space. Uh, he hit his arm a couple times. Uh, of course, that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but very effective. He was by far the Chargers' best player on Sunday on both sides, in my opinion. He was relentless against the Titans. And then Uchenna Nwosu, uh, of course, had that hit on Tannehill that forced that Roderick Teamer interception, who also had a good game. 
He was really good against the run. Chenin Nwosu had one of his best games that I can remember. And you're starting to see why he looked much better as a Leo coming out of college than that Sam Otto that they're sticking him at right now. He can pin his ears back. He can use his speed, his length, and athleticism and get right to the quarterback. He doesn't have to think too much. He doesn't have a lot on his plate like he does when he has to play Otto. He just pins his ears back and gets after the quarterback. So, you know, I know that uh, Ingram's got a contract coming up, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit later, but the downside of having Melvin Ingram back, and it doesn't hurt to have too many pass rushers on the field, but Chen Wilson is starting to climb up that board. He's looking really, really good. He's being disruptive, and having Bosa and Uchenu on either side on Sunday was really, really good for the Chargers defense. Uh, they they put him in some really good spots. Of course, you know the defense is kind of up and down, but Bosa and Uosu were great. They brought the ruckus on Sunday. Yeah, they were both really good. I thought Nuosu probably played his most complete game as a Charger. Uh, it seemed like any time the Chargers stuffed a running play, Nuosu was either resetting the line of scrimmage or involved in the tackle somehow. There were several plays where he closed down from the backside to help choke off a running play. He was really, really good against the run. And you mentioned it against the pass. He had several pressures. He had that interception that he forced with the hit on Tannehill. He was very good, very explosive. I think probably the plan for this team is probably for him to be the Leo long-term uh, once Ingram's contract expires. I doubt they'll re-sign a 30- or 31-year-old Melvin Ingram for the kind of money he's probably going to want. So, And they've got other guys waiting in the wings to play the Sam. So I think long-term you're looking at, at, at uh, Nuosu being the Leo, and I think you know the prospects of having Bosa, Ingram, and Nuosu on the field together on first and second down <clears throat> when the Chargers are in the base defense uh, after Ingram comes back is pretty enticing because now you can start moving guys around, stand guys up in the A-gap, which the Chargers did quite a bit of with Bosa on Sunday, and start finding and creating new matchups in the middle of the line instead of just on the edge. So a uh, lot of good things to look forward to with Ingram on the way back and, and Nuosu playing exceptionally well. He's a guy who I think he's always been better, at least since he's been with the Chargers. He's always been better in some sort of a an edge rusher defensive end slash linebacker role more so than just you know holding down the fort on the edge and and trying to stop the run and asking him to cover especially so very impressed with him and you mentioned Roderick Teamer I thought that was his best game on Sunday uh, didn't make any glaring mistakes very involved in the running game he was around the ball in the passing game they kind of hit him in short zones and he was able to close quickly on the ball and he had one interception and I think there was another at least one other one that he almost had early in the game so he he played very well a couple of guys who stood out really well really nicely for the Chargers on defense on Sunday yeah we'll get to a few others so what what else you got on offense on offense we talked about it a little bit a little a few minutes ago but I just want to hit on the tempo thing again Chargers are very slow on offense and I felt like the one of the reasons that they were able to score so quickly um, in the fourth quarter when they had to was because one, they were desperate and two, they were playing faster. They weren't taking the, the clock. They weren't taking the play clock down inside of five seconds on every play. It's something that we've been harping on for a long time. I think it's something that they need to really look at, uh, to help keep them, to help them be more efficient and keep the defenses on their toes. I just, I just think this slow plotting offense, you know, it's, it's great if you ate up eight, eight minutes and, and, uh, and score a touchdown, but if you take up four or five minutes and you don't score any points, all you're doing is shortening the game for the team that's leading the game because you're not scoring points. So 
there needs to be some kind of a balance there. And I, I really hope that they took some notes on the tempo they played with late in the game and how it can help them be more efficient and be more explosive on offense. And, you know, you don't need 40-yard plays to be explosive. You can get 15- and 20-yard plays and still be explosive, move the ball in chunks, and score quickly. So uh, there needs to be some kind of a balance there. So hopefully hopefully they take some notes on that and they, they become a little bit a little bit faster on offense, a lot faster on offense. Yeah, it does seem like the offense is kind of getting in its own way. It's all too complicated. Uh, you know what works. Eckler works. Uh, getting it to Henry, Keenan Allen works. But then we try to force it to other players, and you get uh, Melvin Gordon on the field, and you try to run it on first and second down, trying to get Gordon going. It just it, It's not working, and it's pretty simple. The fix is easy. But for some reason, Wiz and Lynn or both or everybody combined – are just not going to it. And uh, it seems like they only pick up the pace when they absolutely have to, and they're coming back from behind. But, you know, it's it's what's working, and that's what worked in the second half. Yeah, um, and I would say it seemed like they simplified things uh, after they went through that struggle in the third quarter. It seemed like things were simple. It was quick slants. It was intermediate and deep crossers. There weren't complicated route combinations. It was just, you know, some of those slants to Eckler were just straight up clear out routes. Everybody ran the ball deep and they ran Eckler underneath one-on-one against a linebacker and picked up big chunk plays. And I think that's there all the time. And something else that's been missing really since Gordon got hurt in the Arizona game last year is a lot of those, you know, out, out patterns in the middle of the field against linebackers. The Chargers were singling up Eckler and Gordon in the middle of the field against linebackers for most of the first half of the year last year when their offense was so explosive and teams couldn't stop them. They were getting those one-on-one matchups in space and just eating up opposing linebackers. And then Gordon got hurt, and those plays disappeared. And we really haven't seen those plays, those design passing plays to the running backs. The screens have gone away to a large degree. They run one or two, they don't work, and they just give up. Um, And they're not getting those guys open in space in the passing game. So I think those are all things they need to look at, uh, simplifying things, using the middle of the field, using space, making the defense cover horizontally and vertically, and really challenging all quarters of the field with simple route combinations. You don't have to be ultra complicated. You don't need double moves. You know, you've got the talent to get open with simple routes, and you don't have the offensive line to buy time for double moves and complicated uh, route combinations. Yeah. So I think simplifying things and playing faster would be much, much more productive for this team. Yeah. And so uh, you mentioned linebackers. Let's uh, let's talk about the Chargers linebackers because they're still linebacking like we've seen through the first seven weeks. Uh, let's talk about Thomas Davis, who, of course, uh, uh, I, I watched closely and, um, you know, I was giving him shit for the first couple weeks. And so uh, I, I want to put some actual numbers down. Uh, Thomas Davis uh, during this game gave up three first downs in coverage. In the first quarter, he gave a first down up to Janu Smith for 24 yards on the first play from scrimmage. How could we forget that? In the second quarter, it was a first down to A.J. Brown that went for 16 yards. In the third quarter, it was a first down and his first career reception for the tight end, Anthony Ferkser, that went for 27. The Chargers linebackers gave up the biggest gains to Jonu Smith, who had 35 yards on that Drew Tranquil uh, play I was talking about earlier where he missed the tackle. 
Uh, A.J. Brown had his largest gain of 16 with Thomas Davis in coverage. Anthony Ferkser had his largest gain of 27 with Thomas Davis in coverage, meaning the Chargers linebackers gave up three of the top four largest chunk plays of the day on Sunday. It would be four out of five, but uh, the other one was that 18-yard screen to Derrick Henry, and that was kind of more of a group effort from the Chargers defense, so I won't (laughs) (laughs) blame one linebacker. And then not to mention that touchdown to Corey Davis. They were in zone. Tannehill fit the ball between Drew Tranquil and Denzel Perryman. Both were to blame, but Perryman got the brunt of the blame on the sideline from Gus Bradley because Perryman bit on the post from Jonu Smith, uh, making him step too late in coverage. It was right in his area. And, of course, Perryman gets the helmet-to-helmet to boot. So uh, the linebackers are still not doing good, of course. Uh, that's no surprise to anybody. Drew Tranquil got a lot more snaps. Thomas Davis went down for part of that game, came back in, uh, still stunk it up, and uh, there is some problems in the middle of that defense. And for whatever reason, we're seeing less of Kaiser White. I don't know why, but uh, we're seeing too much Thomas Davis. We're seeing too much Denzel Perryman. It cost them on Sunday. They're giving up the biggest chunk plays on defense. Teams are learning where to attack the Chargers. It's the middle of the field and getting these linebackers in one-on-one matchups and then letting the other receivers receivers tight ends win do you know what kaiser white snap count was because i felt like he was on the field more last week than he had been in recent weeks i'll look it up he was on a lot in base defense he was playing sam in the base defense i don't know what what the count was but it seemed like he was on the field quite a bit kaiser white had 22 snaps which was one more snap than drew tranquil Thomas Davis had 53 snaps, which was the most of any linebacker. Denzel Perryman had 44 snaps, and then White with 22, Tranquil 21. Mm-hmm. Too much. Well, not, not Thomas enough Davis for on the field yeah. for 80, yeah, 83% of the time. Denzel Perryman on the field 69% of the time. White 34%, Tranquil 33%. Flip those, would you? Please. Thank you. and i bet thomas davis numbers is much higher if he doesn't go down in the middle of that game oh i'm sure i'm sure he i think this if i'm not mistaken i think the titans ran 61 plays so he probably would have been on for all of them had he not gotten hurt 64 64 and he played 53 Mm -hmm. yep so yeah he'd he'd, he would have played 100 percent of the snaps probably if he hadn't gotten hurt (laughs) so the linebacker's still a problem man it's a mess Linebacker is still a problem. Tackling is a problem. Coverage is a problem. Um, they're still they've still got their two slowest guys on the field more than anybody else. Yep, which is baffling. Um, hopefully, we get Adrian Phillips back pretty soon, and we start seeing a lot more of him and a lot less of one of these linebackers. I know people love Perriman because they think he's a run stuffer, but he's been a liability all season. Uh, he probably could have been called for two personal fouls in that game because there was a play where Tannehill scrambled, I think, in the fourth quarter, and Mm -hmm. Perriman hit him, and he actually got up expecting the flag. He got up with his arms outstretched like, what? Where's the flag? And he just didn't happen to throw it. Yeah. Yeah, uh He was expecting it, and he was right to expect it because it was a cheap shot. The refs just didn't catch it. So he's he's a liability. Um, He has been for a while now, particularly in coverage. I know he makes a, a highlight reel stop in the running game, maybe two every game. But other than that, I mean, he's he's getting beaten coverage and he's missing tackles in space and drawing stupid penalties. So um, yeah. I'm kind of done with him. I was done with him last year. I figured, oh, you know, yeah. you figured they'd bring him back, but I would have been mm-hmm. fine if they hadn't. And we thought more of a limited role with guys like Tranquil and Kaiser White with a more extended role. But here we are. I'm 
keeping my fingers crossed that uh, when Ingram comes back, we're going to see a starting trio of Tranquil, White, and Nwosu at the linebacker spot because I think that gives them the best chance to win right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if Perryman's a hammer, he is the worst hammer in your toolbox. He's he's like that corroded hammer you find underneath the house <laughs> 15 years too late. He's, he's, <laughs> or passed down from your grandpa. He's missing the nail or sliding off the nail head instead of yep. driving it home. Mm-hmm. All right, what else you got? Uh, last point, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you kind of teased it, is I know Anthony Lynn said this this week that you know they're going to be mixing and matching at center and left guard uh, in practice this week to quote unquote find the right combination, and they might even put Ryan Groy out there now that Forrest Lamp broke his ankle and is out for the season. Um, but I think they have their combination. I don't think it takes a whole lot of searching. I think if you watch that game, you re- you realized a big difference in the way the offensive line was performing uh, after for, after uh, Dan Feeney was moved to left guard to replace Forrest Lamp. There was a much less cluttered pocket. There was more room for Rivers to climb and slide and move around and buy time. And even with the tackles not holding up their end of the bargain, he was making play after play because he could climb the pocket and make throws. So in my opinion, I thought Quessenberry played – Scott Quessenberry was played outstanding um, at the center position on Sunday. He It seemed like he had a much better handle on the blitz packages. He was sliding the protections much better. Uh, he – was blocking. He wasn't getting, you know, bull rushed into the backfield like Feeney was early in the game. Uh, and there just weren't as many leaks through those a gaps as there were earlier in the game. So kudos to Scott Quesenberry for playing exceptionally well. I think that's their combination with Feeney at left guard and Quesenberry at center. If it isn't, there's a problem because Quesenberry was great. He might've been every bit as good as Pouncey was early in the season if not better. There just weren't any leaks. There weren't any mistakes. Um, So that's the combination I'd like to see. And I just want to say that uh, I'm bummed that Forrest Lamp got hurt. I know we've been waiting for him to play for quite a while. He he got off to a rocky start on Sunday, but I thought he settled in. And if you watch the majority of that game for him, I really thought that Forrest Lamp was starting to get his sea legs under him and he was starting to settle down and get comfortable at left guard. Uh, There were several plays where he got beat early and ran his man around Rivers to buy Rivers time to make a throw. He made a couple key blocks in, in the few, uh, you know, quote unquote, big running plays the Chargers had that went for six or seven yards, you know, climbing to the second level, picking off the mic, pulling. Uh, He looked like he was headed in the right direction and then he broke his ankle and now he's out for the season. So disappointed for him especially since he's going into the last year of his contract. And now you got to wonder if the coaches believe in him anymore and if he's going to get another opportunity because he basically needed a catastrophic opportunity or a catastrophic injury to get a real opportunity to play. And now he's had two catastrophic injuries in three years. You kind of wonder if they might just bite the bullet and figure he's never going to be healthy and move on in the off season because he just hasn't been very reliable. And there's something about him that the coaches didn't trust because it took Pouncey, what, practically breaking his neck just to get him on the field. So <laughs> I know. I know. And I don't think we'll ever get an answer on that. But God damn, that sucks for Forrest Lamp, man. Yeah, they could probably pull the plug on him. But I think they'll probably give him another shot. Uh, just a terrible luck for him. And you feel awful 
because uh, we're all pretty excited to see him play. And I thought he did pretty good. I thought in his first start he was uh, he he did nice. You know, didn't didn't flash a ton, but I saw a pancake or two from him. And then on Sunday, yeah, he he struggled early, but settled in, and that's uh, too bad, man. But to your point, Scott Questenberry was very good on Sunday. Definitely the best Chargers lineman on Sunday. And I thought what I was most impressed with was the call-outs, the IQ, the being aware of what was going on in front of him for a guy with his basically like his first snaps on the field and extended time, being able to recognize what's in front of him, uh, smart enough to relay the message. And to play center is a tough spot to be in, but I thought he did really, really well. And um, if he keeps playing the way he does, it's going to be kind of interesting because maybe, you know, maybe next season's the time they move on from Schofield and maybe you've got a Feeney Lamp, Questenberry trio on the inside if they want to try it in camp. But um, very positive for Questenberry. Uh, very good from him. The tackles were terrible, but he was very good. Uh, so good for him. Um, the uh, another big storyline for uh, defensively was you know we knew that Brandon Meebane and Justin Jones weren't going to be playing on Sunday, so we got an extended look at the first round pick and seventh round pick uh, Jerry Tillery and uh, Cortez Broughton. Square uh, Damian Square Tillery Broughton and then T Y McGill were the four defensive tackles. Square got forty seven snaps, Tillery forty five, Broughton eighteen, and T Y McGill they got nine. Uh, Damian Square was really active on Sunday. He was probably the most active of the bunch. He was in the backfield quite a bit. One of his best plays, which I loved, was that third quarter, Joey Bosa dips under the right tackle Dennis Kelly. Tannehill rushes the screen past Deion Lewis, and Square reads it, makes the big hit simultaneously as Lewis catches it. It's almost a fumble. They call it an incompletion, but it was so perfectly timed. He beat his man, sniffed out the screen, brought down Lewis. It was great. Uh, he finished with a pass defense and a QB hit. Uh, Square was very good on Sunday. Cortez Broughton, the seventh-round pick, I thought was really good in extended action. Uh, he actually led the group with four tackles. Uh, he looked really good in spurts. He got Pushed around early on, but settled in. Uh, very good in the run game. And then Jerry Tillery was a fucking dud on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, other than being in the vicinity of that Joey Bosa sack, he was getting no penetration. Uh, the one time he got after Tannehill was when it was basically a coverage sack, not mm-hmm. even a sack, a coverage throwaway, where Tannehill's back there for four, five, six, seven, and if you look at that, and I know that I see the clip of, oh, hey, Tillery's getting a pressure on the quarterback. If you're looking at that clip, you're seeing Tillery not keep being able to get past the line of scrimmage. He's basically met the guard at the line of scrimmage. He's getting no penetration, no penetration, no penetration, Standing no penetration. Straight up, and then, no yeah, hand and activity. And then leaks out the side, and there's no other offensive lineman in the area. Tannehill sees him and then just throws it away. That is not a pressure. That is a terrible stat. He was not getting any penetration at all. He did not record a single tackle in 45 snaps. He had a goose egg on the stat sheet. And it, I, I don't care about the whole stat sheet and not getting one. But I'm watching going, God, is he playing terrible. He's got to have a, a tackle that I didn't see because I was watching him pretty closely. And he didn't. He didn't have anything. He didn't have a, a sack, a QB hit, a pass defense, nothing. In nine snaps, T.Y. McGill had a tackle. This game was a real chance for Tillery to really like show the team what he had in extended action, and he was outperformed by the seventh-round pick, Cortez Broughton. He played great. Uh, Damian Square really picked up the pace for that uh, interior group. Jerry Tillery just stunk, man. He was not good. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what Square does, right? You think the chips are down and you don't have anybody that's going to fill a spot. Right. And he steps yeah, up yeah. and he has a great game. And you're like, oh, yep. there's that Square guy again. Where'd yeah, he come yeah, from? Totally. Um, yep. He also he had a nice quarterback hit on Tannehill at one point where he just stuck his face mask in, in Tannehill's chest and buried him after a throw. Yep. Uh, Square was really good. I I thought the same thing about Broughton. Um, I'd like to see him get some more snaps, but he he was hustling against the run. Once he started getting his legs underneath him, it seemed like he was. There were a couple of really nice hustle plays against the run in the middle of the line of scrimmage where he kind of broke free and collapsed on the running back and, and made shoestring tackles for run stops. Uh, he looked very good. And T.Y. McGill flashed a couple times as a pass rusher, had a tackle. Uh, so when you're getting outplayed by T.Y. McGill and Cortez Broughton, that's not a real good sign. No. Um, I think Tillery did have one other pressure in that game, and it was a play where uh, both he and Bosa came free late. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Bosa kind of cut in front of him and stole the sack from him. Um, but that was that was legitimate pressure. I think that was the one legitimate pressure that he had in that game. And otherwise, it's just more of the same. Standing up, no real hand activity, no real technique. If he's not winning off the snap, which he isn't, uh, there there's just he has no means for breaking free from a blocker, getting upfield and making a play. He's he's basically invisible. Uh, he's a I mean he's a huge guy, so he's not literally invisible, but he might as well be because he's not doing a whole heck of a lot. And the coaches have to be frustrated. You know, for a guy that they had a first round, uh, first round grade on, who was the last player on their board with a first round grade. Yep. Somebody they've been hyping up all off season. They wait for him to get healthy. He flashes a couple times in the preseason, and he's just vanished. Uh, and even when he, you know, even when he does get penetration, seems like there's no real plan. Uh, the guards are just running him right by the quarterback. Yep. Um, or he's out of control and he's falling down because he's off balance and he can't he can't maintain his balance through contact. Uh, there's a lot of problems there right now. Uh, I, I you know I mentioned it before. I kind of wonder if maybe he's better off playing the edge than he is playing inside. He might be a little bit too tall, a little bit too long and lean to be playing inside. So we'll see what happens with with Jerry. But he needs a lot of work. That technique needs a whole lot of development. He need, his legs need to get stronger. That balance through contact needs to get a whole lot better. A um, lot of work to be done with that first-round pick. Yeah, and the team brought in Sylvester Williams, so they added some more depth, which we all assume that we're going to see uh, me, Bain, or Justin Jones sent to IR any minute now. Uh, but for now, they've got uh, they added some more bulk to the interior, but I, I'm, I'm excited about Cortez Broughton. That was a really good game from him, and I'd like to see some more from him. And I do want to say before we get off defense, you know, in this game uh, – 
the defense was kind of up and down for especially early on but what they did at the end of that game was really keep this team in it and you know watching it live it's frustrating because we we talked a little bit about the fumble at the goal line getting all the way down there uh, not being able to punch it in the first time practically a fumble but they said it was down then he eventually fumbles it again uh, fumbles the game away but th- that's kind of getting lost what's getting lost is the defense had a fourth down stop with two minutes and 35 seconds left in the game, and it totally swung the game in the Chargers' favor. It set Rivers and company up at the Chargers' 49 with plenty of time, and they were only down three. If they don't get that that stop on that Tannehill sneak, which was a great play from the interior, those guys getting real pressure and Rayshon Jenkins just flying in and knocking Tannehill back, the Titans have a chance to seal it and or giving Rivers like no chance to touch the ball at all, and that game's over. But they got tremendous push up front. They gave them a chance. Obviously, you know, Gordon's fumble looms large. Obviously, it cost them the game. But what's forgotten about is how huge that stop was at the end of the game. They'd been playing up and down, but they mean they needed a stop when they absolutely needed one at the end of that game. And, you know, that's what happened last year. The offense was kind of stalling, and that defense would pick them up, give them a chance to win it, and more times than not, they won it. This time, they didn't, but... It's a lot like what it was last year. The defense stepped up, and they got that stop. That was huge. Yeah, as frustrating as that game was, I thought there were some positives to be taken from the offense and the defense after rewatching it. You know, you mm-hmm. you leave the live watch, and you're like, oh, they lost. They gave up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They were complete garbage. Yeah. You know, but then you go back and you watch it, and you realize they had some good play out of three three key defenders. They had some key stops late. They figured some things out on offense late. There were some things that even though they didn't win the game, they could build on and could help give them some momentum going going into the tougher part of their schedule. So hopefully the coaches learn the same thing from those 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 developments that we did. Hopefully they see the same things that we did and they take those and they build on them. But uh, huge stop. I, I actually thought Tannehill got the first down on that stop. I, I thought it was a bad call, but uh, I was glad they got it. But I, I thought it looked to me like he got it, and then Bosa pushed him back, and they gave they spotted the ball where Bosa pushed him back to. But they got credit for the stop. They gave the, they gave the offense a chance, and the offense almost pulled it off. So, so definitely some things to build on. Definitely, um, but it is also very discouraging that they uh, run with Eckler and they roll with him all the way to the goal line, and then yank him right out and give two straight carries to Melvin Gordon. That is the frustrating part. Yeah. So let's talk about the charters on the goal line for a second should we okay all right fine <laughs> just just for just for a minute here so they're kind of Jekyll and Hyde right this has been a Jekyll and Hyde team all season it seems like they 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 know what they want their identity to be but they don't realize that that's not who they are right now so first trip down to the goal line in the second quarter right before halftime they try to run the ball with Gordon up the middle he gets stuffed I think they try to run it with him twice. Then they finally go to the play action pass, the well-designed play with two eligible tackles uh, where they fake the handoff to Watt. They curl Gordon out into the flat and it's an easy pitch and catch for Rivers and Gordon for the touchdown. Yep, Beautifully designed play. And you're looking at it and you're like, holy shit, they figured it out. They realize they can't run the ball on the goal line when everybody's expecting it. They don't have the personnel. They finally figured it out. And then what happens they're on the goal line, on the one, with inside, what, 39 seconds left or 45 seconds left or whatever it was. And not only are they running the ball, but they're running the ball from the fucking shotgun <laughs> with Gordon, no less. They get stuffed. 
Then they decide they want to do it again, and he tries to jump over the pile from the five, <laughs> gets stuffed. He's crowd surfing and fumbles the ball, and the refs save his ass and call it no fumble. And you're thinking, all right, the play-action pass has to be coming, right? They can't run it three times in a row. They have to know that they have to pass it. They have to. And what do they do? They run it again, pretty much the exact same play to Gordon. He gets stuffed, and he fumbles the ball. Just no awareness, no idea of what your personnel is capable of, no idea or at least no appreciation of who got you there in the first place, and no plan. It's like they had nothing scripted. I mean, to be running the ball from the shotgun, from the one-yard line, it's just absurd. Mm -hmm. They have to have better scripted plays in the red zone, and they've got to get more creative, whether that means having Gordon and Eckler on the field together so you can fake to one and throw to the other or whatever it is. They have to start understanding what their personnel is capable of, and they have to start putting these guys in a better position to succeed. And if Austin Eckler is your number two or number three best playmaker on the team right now, he should be getting those opportunities in the red zone. Yeah. For sure. And I know people are going to say he's fumbled the ball twice in the red zone, but hey, you know what? So is Gordon now. Yeah. Even though they call one back, uh-huh. so is Gordon. In the same game, no less. Yeah. So let's stop pretending like like Gordon is you know Emmett Smith in his prime or Eric Dickerson <laughs> in his prime, and just get the ball into your best playmaker's hands. Yeah. Is that is that so much to ask? Well, give it to who got you there. Uh, it was exactly uh, it was Eckler who got you all the way down there. Give it to him again. There, there's no reason to give it back to Melvin Gordon, especially with the game he's had, the fumble he had early on. Okay, fine, you let that one go. And then he fumbles a second time, but then they don't call it. Why reward him again with a third carry so he can fumble it again? And he does it. it you know, I know there's a lot to be made of the QB sneak, and a lot of people are talking about how Rivers should should have maybe done a QB sneak there and all that. But, you know, the run isn't as bad of a play if it wasn't Melvin Gordon. I know it's not the best play. I think I I'm with you. I actually thought a play action was coming, but um, if you're running the ball, you know why Gordon there? I mean, I not forget the kind of player he was, but during that game, he you saw him fumble early on, and luckily it was a lucky bounce and a bounce right to him, and he got it back. The second time where he thought he had rocket boosters, I guess I don't know. I've never <laughs> seen a running back try to jump to the goal line from the five yard line, but okay. Definitely didn't do long jump in high school because he didn't get there. Uh, fumbles it, but then they don't call it. Why do it again? Why with Gordon, which he basically fumbled twice, give it to him again? They just keep making things too complicated. Just do what works and keep going back to it. That's how they won games last year. Yep. Yeah. They just keep running the same plays over and over and over again until somebody stopped it. Yeah. Nobody stopped it until they got to New England. Right. And they haven't been yeah, the same no, that's since. absolutely right. Yep. Let's please simplify things and put the ball in our best player's hands and realize that that is not Melvin Gordon at this point. It is not. And once Justin Jackson comes back, it's not Melvin Gordon. It may be Austin Eckler. It may be Justin Jackson. But it seems like Melvin Gordon is moving down the depth chart at that point because now you've got maybe the most efficient runner and uh, maybe a guy you give it to on the goal line at that point. And by the way – just for a record, just for the sake of the record, did you did you think Austin Eckler was in on that pass, the one where they called him down at the one? Uh, no. Uh, uh-uh. did you? No, I didn't. 
He was sitting upright on the one-yard line, and they called him down on the one, and people are still saying that the ref screwed him out of a touchdown. Yes. Oh, that's why I paused because it was like I I didn't think that was a question. He was was down He definitely was not in. He was sitting on the one-yard line. Right, right. And people are trying to say that you couldn't tell where the ball was, so they they should have kept the play a touchdown because they called it Uh a touchdown on the field. Yeah. But to me, there was never – I've heard people say that Eckler was in, and he wasn't. I've heard people say Gordon was in on both runs, and he clearly wasn't. Stop blaming the officials. Just realize that the Chargers screwed themselves again. Eckler wasn't in. Gordon wasn't in. Let's just end that debate right now because it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, the Chargers lost, and uh, Gordon fumbled the ball away. And the Chargers find another brutal way to lose a game. They they keep doing it, don't they? <laughs> Finding new ways to lose games. And by the way, the rewatch wasn't actually as bad as I had anticipated. There's actually some good things, and uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, hopefully they can uh, use that going forward and use some of the positives and uh, bring it to Chicago this weekend. So uh, we're done here. I am at Garrisisti on Twitter, Jamie. At lightning underscore round. All right, and we will see you guys later. Thanks, everybody.